Scripture reading for this evening is Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now how, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Good afternoon. So tonight I am going to continue uh, a study that we, I guess, I'm not sure when we started. But this, this is lesson four. It's taken us a couple months to get to this point. And as we go through this, I'll be turning along in, in my Bible and, and invite you to do the same as well. Mine's an, an English standard version, but uh, the meat will be the same. And the, the goal of these sermons was partly because I felt a need, uh, a desire to, and, and wanted to be able to share that with others, to empower us, to equip us, um, to strengthen us, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And you might think the steps to salvation is where we would begin. And that, you know, that's probably where I would have thought, you know, the, get out the steps and check the boxes, and that's, that's where we're going to go. Um, but having discussed with someone who has taught a lot of people uh, successfully, he recommended the other steps that we took first to get here, to do the groundwork. But I think that this is the lesson that every Christian should know. And I don't mean should as in like an obligation, like you need to do this. So, I mean, you can have that discussion, but you should know it because you did it. Um, but speaking about it is a different thing, really. Formalizing your thoughts and your experiences in words gives it a, a, a tangibility, a structure, and a strength, even within you, to be able to, to share that with someone else. It's, it's definitely worth it to be able to speak it for yourself. And I found new appreciation and understanding um, in these steps. Uh, there's certainly a lot more than, than checkboxes. Um, and I wanted to, I'm keeping track of all of these in, in my Bible, and also I'm keeping track of these in my phone, because that's what I have with me all the time. And so I wanted to offer my phone number and email address if anyone was interested in any of these lessons that I've done um, and wanted just to have uh, a digital version, then great. Um, and again, for you to teach this, what I would be sending is, is the scripture because that is the strength of the lesson. That is the bones of the lesson, which is the scriptures. You surround it with your words, your experience, your understanding. Make it personal. Make a connection to whom you're talking to. And... Um, again, any, anything that's profound here is from the Word of God. Um, I'm just the organizer of it, so um, that's why I'm so uh, desirous of, of sharing that. Um, and to get to this point, the steps of the salvation, I just wanted to talk briefly about how we got here. Uh, we talked about how the Bible is God's Word. That was the first lesson. To, to, to have a standard with whoever you're talking to, to understand that the Bible is complete. You don't add to or take it away, that it is the how and the why of, of serving God and being a Christian. We talked about the problem. This is the big picture of the Bible is that we are separated from God. 
have been ever since the garden, has been ever since each one of us have committed a sin. But the key to that is that God wants to be connected to us. He wants to live amongst us. So he sent his son. And the end of that story is that he desires to have a connection with us and to give us salvation. We just need to follow the steps that he has given to do that. And then the last one was kind of a speed bump lesson, I thought, was because we covered a number of the things that can be in someone's heart that get in the way of them accepting that Jesus is all that they need. There's a lot of ideas, enough, hey, it's, it's not enough to be right, it's not enough to be religious, it's not enough to be a good person, and it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. That these are all essentially excuses. These are all reasons that would get in between somebody actually accepting the gift that God would give them. And so those are things that are, again, obstacles, but hopefully we could clear the way a little bit as we are ready to talk about the actual the steps of salvation. So let's, let's get into that. The first one is uh, top of the list for a reason. Uh, we're going to go right to, to John chapter 3, verse 16. And this is, you know, perhaps the most known uh, scripture in the world. And it's for a reason. Um, because it is powerful, and it carries great meaning, and it is simple. But um, it's, it's very important for us to understand. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And one of the key things I'm trying to do with each one of these steps is find a scripture that ties it directly to this is necessary to be saved. Each one of them say that this is something that is, it's not a supplemental, it's not, it is absolutely critical for salvation. And it's also interesting to notice that each one of these things say that. So it's not just one of these things, it's all these things. But in order that the world might be saved through him, it says in verse 17. Again, so someone must believe that Jesus is real, that he came to live and to die for us, and that he taught us about the kingdom of heaven, and that he was resurrected from the dead, and that he commissioned people to teach his words, and, and this is his word. Do you believe that to be true? That's the first step. This, this is a must, or else everything after it is a story. It's imaginary. In John chapter 20, going to the very end of this book, we see that these things that are here are for us. They are written for a very specific purpose. And it ties it towards belief and also in, in life. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believing is critical to have life in his name. His name is the power. It's one thing to believe. It's one thing to believe and understand that he is the source of that power. Again, this is not optional. This is where it begins. We're going to look to another verse because it's important to understand, it's in Ephesians chapter 2, that faith is, oh, what is faith, right? So many sermons have been written about faith and by, by much, uh, much greater men than I. But faith is the means by which we gain access to God's grace. And it is also, um, 
It is not a work. It is not something that, that we get to claim as something that is great about us. But we are going to see that it is something that we do choose. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. This is not a result of works pointing back towards grace, that grace is freely given. Grace is something that you cannot earn. That's the contrast here with earning salvation. But grace is the, faith is the means by which we come into contact with, with God's grace. It is, a, it is a critical step. But for me, it was, it was very interesting to understand that belief and faith are the same Greek word. Um, and... So why are they not translated the same? And I've learned, come to learn that there's a reason that the same word can be translated into different words, partly because they maybe had less words for something, and so they had to look into the context towards what English word this would best apply to. So even though belief and faith are nearly the same, they, they are not precisely the same. See, faith is contrasted with knowing. You don't have faith in something that you know. You know it. You don't need faith. Uh, it implies movement into the unknown. For you to, to act in faith means stepping out from what you know into what you don't know. And we saw that with, with Abraham. You know, he, he did not know what the wilderness was going to be like. He did not know what those promises were going to unfold, what his descendants were going to be, or who the, the one that would bless all people was. Um, Noah did not know what that flood was going to look like, but he knew enough. And every bit of faith is based on revelation. It's always based on something, but our full understanding is, is simply not there. It is going into the unknown. And I think a, a, a reason for the difference between kind of belief and, 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 and faith is the implication of trust, because that leads to an action. And there are things that we, we trust in every day, even though they're not infallible. You know, uh, your alarm going off, your, your car starting in the morning when you're trying to get to work. Uh, you know, we, we kind of have some faith that on Sunday morning, Rex is going to be here to open the door for us. You know, if, if he's here, he's, he's helping out and he's welcoming us. Um, these are things that you expect through repetition. And, but it's not something that is as simple as just expecting something, because the, the car example is one that, that stood out to me. We sometimes will spend so much money on a, a reliable car. It's like this, this, this powerful thing to us. Because we, ha we hate to have our faith shaken when you go to turn the, the key and nothing happens. It's like this, this moment. You know, you've experienced it. It's not just like, oh, how am I going to get to work? Or, you know, uh, how expensive is this going to be? It's suddenly when the car doesn't start, we realize how little we know about cars and how unable we are to do something and to travel without this thing. It, it makes us kind of feel small. It's, you understand that feeling. It's, it's, it's more than just a, a mental thing. With faith in God, though we are looking at the chasm between him and us and understanding that we cannot cross this thing, I cannot jump it, I cannot do anything, I can only trust in the bridge that he built. So I'm going to put my life and my soul in his hands. I want to turn to Exodus 14. And I, I didn't include this in the slides because I don't know that I would necessarily go into trying to teach this because it's just too big of a picture. 
Um, but it's something that I, I just want to touch on for us. In Exodus chapter 14, this is, this, we see in these verses the climax of the greatest series of miracles ever. The ten plagues where God was going to show himself in all of his glory. And he says, I will, I will get glory upon the world by, by these efforts in front of these people. The Israelites witness all of these things. Then they, 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 they uh, participate in the Passover. They, they put blood on the post so that the angel of death will pass over their house. Then they leave this place where they were slaves in victory. And then they go to the Red Sea where it looks like they will certainly be destroyed. And in, in chapter 14, it describes that. And, and it says, you know, in, in verse 10, they feared greatly. But in verse 13, Moses said, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. That's all that you have to do. And you run all the way down here to verse 29. The people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall on them on their right and on their left. I can't even imagine what the majesty of what they saw. Verse 30, because again, we're talking about the steps of salvation, right? We're talking about saving. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. And in his servant Moses, they believed. The scripture says they believed. They believe so much that Moses writes this song, and it's incredible. I will sing of the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The Lord is my strength and my song. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. They're very moved by this experience. He finishes the song, and then Miriam and all the women, they get tambourines, and they're dancing, and they're singing. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. They believed. They felt their belief, right? How long did that last? Three days. Three days later, after seeing this incredible thing, their faith faltered. Three days later, and God is wanting to help them to understand that they need to rely on him with water and then with food, a number of things that he shows that I'm taking care of you, but they come and they don't have water. But they don't say, we have God. Uh, it's gonna be okay. I'm thirsty, but God's got a plan. No, they, they grumbled to Moses. They immediately grumbled and said, what shall we drink? Are we here to die, essentially? And that's something that is interesting about belief and faith is that we cannot rely on miracles for faith. It's not about proof. Proof doesn't last for us. It didn't last for them. It's about choosing God with only a, a partial understanding. And God has proved himself to us. Hopefully in your life you've seen that, and he proved himself to them. But that's in the past. I must continue to choose him for the next step, for the future, which I do not see. They believed, but their faith was small, and it was not trust. But that's okay, because we all have to start somewhere. And one of the reasons I'm describing this is someone says, well, my faith is not great. It doesn't have to be great. It has to be great enough to take the next step and then it will grow. But we all have to start somewhere with our faith and with our belief, but it's actually a step. And that's one of the reasons I like the steps of salvation is because faith isn't just something that happens to you. It's a choice that you make. Faith is a choice in the way that I trust in God for the next step. 
I'm going to choose him. I understand it mentally, but it's not just there. I'm going to choose him. That brings us to the next idea, which is of repentance. We're heading back to the New Testament. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, kind of defines this. And it, some of the words or some of the, the things that we'll look at here, you know, there's kind of church lingo, right? There's these words that we use that are not necessarily words that everyone understands. You have to define them. Um, and but we also want to tie these things again to the idea of salvation. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent, therefore, and turn away that your sins may be blotted out. Again, sin is the thing that separates us from God. So we want those to be wiped away, and that's a critical element of, of our, our hope for salvation. But it says, repent, therefore, and turn back. And to me, I was like, oh, that's kind of the definition of repent, right? You turn back. But it says and. It doesn't say repent, comma, turn back. It says repent and turn back. These are similar but different. It connects the heart and the action. The repent is the thing that you feel and the choice of your heart. But then what does actual repentance, like what is actual faith? It's the thing that follows it, you know, with works. Repentance is the turning back. And it's something that is more than a feeling. And we're going to go to, to Luke chapter 15. And it's, it's our, kind of our longest reading, but I just didn't want to only refer to it. I think we need to read it. What it means to repent. Again, understanding that these steps are things that are in the heart and they are things that are in an action. These aren't the, uh, the feelings of salvation. These are the, the steps of salvation. So Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Christ speaking about how much God values something which is lost. But this story teaches us in such a such a, a real way. Stories are powerful that way. God used narrative for a reason throughout the, the, throughout the Bible, but especially in the Old Testament. And he said, Christ speaking, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property among them. Let me just stop there for a second, <laughs> because what is, what is the son saying to him? Uh, you're as good as dead to me. Give me your stuff. I mean, he's still using that stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's one thing to say, I'm in your will, and uh, that, that is something that's going to happen someday. It's another thing to say, I, that's my stuff. I want it now. And, you know, I think we can imagine a father that says, have you lost your mind? Like, <laughs> this is not your stuff. This is, this is my stuff that I've earned or that I've been blessed with or however you want to say it. This is quite the insult from the son to the father. Yet the father, he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, that's a key here to this, this 
this idea. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is an incredible story. Lots to learn from it. But what we're looking at here is repentance. And repentance is something that, that really uh, begins in, in the heart. And it's something that I wish I knew how to affect that. It's one thing to know something, because at no point throughout this young man's journey did he not know that his father was gracious or good or that he was wealthy or his servants did well. It was, and even, you know, his pride when he went and sold himself to, to serve pigs, he had not yet come to himself. His heart had not yet broken. His heart was not yet ready. And that term when he came to himself is interesting. I, I found it in, in Acts chapter 12 when Peter was being led out of the prison and he thinks it's all a dream. And then he comes to himself and he's like, I'm outside of prison. This come to himself is, is this dawning of realization. What have I done? He came to himself and then this is, this is a pivot. This is a change in direction. It's a difference between I know I should to I am going to. And the new direction is, is the way of the Father. The new direction is I am going to go to my Father. Not my own way. I'm going to go his way. Many people know the, the, step, the facts of salvation. And, and you know, we have, we have young people here who have heard these things. But it is not until this moment when they, they come to themselves that they understand what it means for them. See, repentance is the action that grows from a change in heart. And, and I do want to note here, though, that we see the son's sin did separate him from the father, right? And that's something that we understand about how our sin can separate us from the father. But it does not separate us from the father's love. That father was waiting always loving, always looking, always hoping that his son would choose him over himself and over the world and over that stuff, that money that he left with. And to me, that shows me so many times in the Old Testament and Isaiah and other places where it says, the Lord loves a broken and contrite heart. Why does God love a broken heart? Because a broken heart turns to him. And that's what's key. Not in his pride, but in his love for us can we only have what is best. And John chapter 14, verse 6 says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Repentance means I'm not going to go my way. I'm going to go his way. The next thing that is critical is confession. 
I put confession dash acknowledgement. It's not minus. It's not a math problem. It's just bad formatting. <laughs> because so let's go to Matthew chapter ten. Confession. If you talk to someone about confession, they're gonna you know immediately think of what they've seen on TV, and that you go to a priest in the confessional booth and you tell them about your sins, and that's that's not what we're we're talking about here. Repentance is going to cover that part where you recognize your sin. I am convicted. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and verse 33 says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Uh, acknowledge is another term for this. Confession, speaking about who God is, what he has done for you, what Jesus is. Again, this is one of those times where we want to help with the church lingo a little bit, help people to understand. But now let's go to Romans chapter 10 to see how important confession is to salvation. Because it seems like, you know, some of the whys we do not get, some of the whys we do, and it's an immediately thing, you know, why do I have to say something to be saved? You know, what, what, is, what is that? What is the value there? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, we're getting tying these things to being saved, salvation, that's our goal. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And again, I love the fact that these actions are always tied to the heart because uh, without the heart, they're meaningless. God uh, explained that very clearly in, in the Old Testament, but we want someone to understand that this is a heart thing. But a heart thing is not really a heart thing if it's not followed with a physical thing, right? A thing that you do. But let's look at this. Why is he talking about, why is confession important? God is showing an important connection between belief the action of confession and salvation. God is asking for this. He says, let me hear you say it. And there's quite a few places in the scripture that ask for, the, for a confession. I like this one. I like Romans 10 because it says it the most clearly. It even, in, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul, speaking to Timothy, tells him to hold on to that good confession that you made. The same confession that Christ made before Pontius Pilate. God is saying, let me hear you say it. And I had to think about that because I can understand that a little bit. I sometimes will do that with my kids. Like, I'll, I'll say, hey, Corbin, uh, you going to be a good kid at school today and, and do everything that Miss Mary and Randy say to you? And yes. You know, are you going to do this? Yes. And I, I can ask him a number of questions. He'll say yes. If I want to believe that my kid understands what I, I want them to do and, and I want to believe that they're going to do it, that they understand, really, let me hear you tell me what I said to you, okay? The rules that I made for this, tell me those rules back. Okay, we're on the same page, great. Other times when this is used are very serious times. Repeat after me. We don't do it often a lot in life, right? But wedding vows, oaths, um, swearing in, you know, at court, those words must come from the speaker in full. The guy doesn't just say, you know, uh, do, you, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And Yes, okay. Uh, do you, you know, when you're married, you, you don't just say, 
are you going to do all these things? And the person said, yes. No, they speak it. They own it. I'm going to speak these words. And the point of this, I really think, is that there's no such thing as an, and I, I don't love this term, but I think it's the most clear, is there's no such thing as an in-the-closet Christian. Confession should happen at salvation and then continue through a Christian's life. Faith, repentance, and confession should all be things that are continuous, that are repeated and act themselves out through a Christian's life. So when one is, we're going to get here, spoiler alert, when one is baptized, they make the good confession. And ideally, and I'm not saying it's wrong for the person to say, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And the person says yes, and then they get a baptism. That's fine. That's the beginning of a confession. I think it's even better if they can use their own words. And of course, that takes some coaching and stuff, and that's good and great. But soon they begin to be able to speak those words out for themselves and let that be shown in their words and in their life. But there is great power in the word. And we know that because God used prophets. God used his son, the living word, to manifest himself in the world. So if you believe it and if you mean it, then, then you say it. And God said you have to. That's one of the key things with some of these things is I can, let's, let's try to get our arms around the meaning, but hey, God said that we need to do this to be saved. Sometimes that's a bit enough. So let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, excuse me, Acts 2.38. Baptism. A lot of these other verses, you may have noticed, they said, if you do this thing, you will be saved, right? This is the one that is... Uh, the most, uh, I, the, the most attacked of all of these amongst people who preach the word but partially. Um, and it's something to be mindful of. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, but let's go back to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And in this gospel sermon, on Pentecost, with the glories of the Holy Spirit all around them and having shown that God was amongst these speakers. Peter gives the, the first gospel sermon, and he quotes Joel, and he quotes all these things, and then he convicts them. You remember that the Messiah that you've been waiting for? This Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive salvation. And I love to point out what something is and not all the things that it isn't. Because you can give caveats all day and every day, but baptism, I think, is worth noting that if you look back in verse 21, quoting Joel, talking about this very day, this very moment, it says that it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They already heard this part of the sermon. It's a pretty short sermon, honestly, you know. Um, they knew that. They heard that. If you call upon the Lord, shall be saved. You know, five minutes later here, probably not five minutes he convicts them, and they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter doesn't say, don't you remember point two of my sermon? Did I, not, I didn't have a PowerPoint, but I had the Holy Spirit. 
I said, I said you, you know, call upon, the name to be call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. They understood that wasn't the end of it. That you call upon the name of the Lord as an expression of wanting to be saved, of submission, of desire. And so they asked. They knew they needed to call upon the name of the Lord, but then they said, what must else we do? How do we get this gift? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And baptism is a lot of things, and we're not going to look at all the things that baptism is. We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, and we're going to show that it is required. I think the next lesson will be entirely on baptism because it's so important, and it is something that is a lot of things and it's powerful and it's something that is worth understanding but you don't have to understand everything about it you need to understand a couple things about it first Peter chapter 3 verse 21 in conjunction with what we read in Acts here we read baptism which corresponds to this now saves you let's go back to verse though they were talking about when Noah was in the ark God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now these, I'm not a big English person, but I, my wife helps me, like prepositional phrases mean that that part you can remove from the sentence and you still get the, the important part of the sentence. Those things are important, but you get the meaning. And if you take out those, what you get left is baptism saves you. And a lot of people have a hard time with that. I, I, I get saved by a work that I do. No, you get saved by obedience. You get saved by saying, yes, God, you did it, and I want it, and I will obey you. And therefore, I will obey Everything else that we can understand about baptism, and it's worth understanding, we need to understand this. Baptism now saves. Now those prepositional phrases are important, I think. They say they're appeal to God from a good conscience. It's not just a dip in a water. It is an appeal to God. It is, it is taking the gift that he has to give you, and it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it is because of his, his death and his life that you getting in water has power. So... The key, though, is that, that baptism doth now save. And I will touch just, you know, uh, between you and me, that the opposer has worked long and hard to prevent and pervert baptism. And he does not anyone taking this step. He loves, I think, for someone to, to hear God and, and, and not, not even that. But if they do, he likes to get in the way at the last minute. And... There's a lot of misconception about baptism, so I think we, we'll talk about that another time. But note that it is a burial. It is an old life being replaced by a new thing. Um, it is a washing, washing away of sins, that, and it is also the start of something. And it's the start of something new, that, that burial, a new life, but it's also where something begins. And I think that that's something that we can understand uh, or, or understand that this is uh, 
because the steps of salvation essentially culminate in baptism. It is the start of something, and that something, though, is faithfulness. And let's, let's turn to, to Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, because of all the actions that one took, and I believe faith, confession, repentance, those are acts, but it is with baptism that something new does begin. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, we read, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is what we're targeting, right? This is what we're holding on to, this life, this salvation. Being freed from, from death. But understanding that, that baptism is the start of something new. It is that, that burial and a new life. Christ often talked about a seed. And he often talked about things that would cause a seed to not be able to grow. The parable of the sower is, is the, the most common one. But there's a number of things that describe this. Which, by the way... We're just talking about baptism. Note that the seed is immersed in the dirt, right, before life begins. Um, just saying. The thing to understand about these steps to salvation is that they are, they are important steps because they get you moving on the way, which is the way to the Father. But you have to be, keep taking steps. You have to keep taking steps towards him. It is not that you will get to the destination in this life. We don't, we don't get there. Our salvation is completed on death. Um, that's why Paul said, I, I keep fighting. I, I do not count myself done. I continue to struggle in this race because uh, I want to lay hold of the prize. It's not that you get to the destination in this life, but if you're not walking towards God, then what are you walking towards? You can get off of the way. So what happens when you get off of the way? Well, you remember yourself. You come to yourself. You repent. You confess your sins, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, and you try again. That's what faithfulness is, is about. And it's, it's, not, it's not one and done. You don't get baptized and you're done. I've, I've known people who got baptized and basically disappeared. I've, um, through people that I've been in contact with before the baptism or, or someone, sometime it happens where you're like, oh, you know, this is a, someone's family member and that's great. But then you, you never hear of them again. The point of, of why I included this as a step of salvation, if salvation happens at baptism, why are we including this? Because you want to talk about this when you're talking about the steps of salvation. It's not explaining how to remain faithful. I mean, I'm, I'm still learning that big picture, right? We're still adding strokes to that. But it is to communicate that this is a commitment. And you don't start it until you're ready to commit to something new. And I wouldn't withhold baptism from someone because I cannot read a heart but this does need to be stated and understood. And so let's look to Romans chapter, or excuse me, Luke. We're in Luke chapter 9. Christ himself understood this because Christ was doing amazing things, right? He was doing miracles, and people would have gotten caught up. You get caught up in the crowd. And um, I've, even, I've, I've even maybe experienced that, where people are emotional, and they see someone get baptized, and they're like, ooh, maybe me too, you know? Um, Christ, though, when somebody said, let me follow you, he didn't say, let's go. 
He said in verse 57, and they were going along the road and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds like exactly what he's here for, right? He's, he's desiring of disciples. He called men specifically. And someone says, I'll follow you wherever you go. That sounds good to me. I'd like that kind of buy-in. But Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another said to another, he said, follow me. But this man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let leave the dead to bury their own dead, for as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So you put your hand to the plow. The point of a plow is that you're putting in ground, you're putting in seed, you're doing the work of the Father. And if you are on the plow, and, and you guys might have, some, maybe you get better at this, when I first was a driver, if I turned around, my hand went with it, right? Um, and that's what he's talking about with the plow, is you turn around, you're not going to do the right work. Your plow is going to turn off. And, but it's not just that you make an error. It says, if you look back, you are not fit for the kingdom. And two of these people, they said, let me first. And Christ here is saying, oh, I get it. You want to follow me, but you first. You're going to follow me out of your desire to appeal to yourself, not as a, an act of full submission, not as a full commitment. And again, it's not a commitment to perfection, but it is a commitment to keep trying. It's going to get hard, but it's worth it. And it is so much, the burden is so much lighter than the burden that you would be bearing otherwise. So this is, this is that whole, whole lesson. There's a couple of scriptures for each of them. And I did put some slips in the back in case that's something that, that uh, you know, you're interested in. Text me. I'm not, again, trying to say it's something magical. I just want to share it, want to empower you because it's made me feel empowered. But I just, the thing that I thought was, okay, the steps of salvation, that's, that's kind of a, a simple sermon. We're just going to, that's going to be a real quick one, and everyone's heard these kind of things, and that's going to, we're going to knock it out. But, it, you know, I found a lot of things with it, but I found a thread through these things that was just really, um, that I, I want to share, that all of these, these elements to me point to a really incredible concept and understanding, and, and that is that God loves free will. And, and that he loves us. And he didn't have to do it this way. And, and all of these things are designed to turn us fully to him, to turn our, our heart to him. But every one of these things is, is, a, is, a, is a chosen thing. It's a, it's a feeling in the heart and then a chosen action. But what is he saying? He's saying, choose me. He says to believe and trust in me. Then he says in repent, he says, choose me over the world and yourself and, and turn to me and walk towards me. Then he says, choose to claim this gift. You don't earn it, right? But you claim it. And I'm requiring you to claim it and say it. Say, I want it, Father. To choose to claim the gift and all that goes with it. It's confession. Then you choose to obey and to bury the old and begin the new. A new child of God. Choose me. And 
This is, this is so humbling. I'm so small and unworthy of God to say to me, choose me. He gave his son and, and humbled himself up. You understand the idea of setting yourself up for a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Somebody dismissing you. Rejection, right? That, that God sets himself up for rejection by most of the world. That's an incredible thing, right? He gave his son and humbled himself so that I could choose him. That's how much he cares about us choosing and about free will. And he also wants us to keep choosing him every day. That's faithfulness. If you don't keep choosing him every day, you're not going to be faithful. You're going to be going off out of the way. So what will you choose? Now, as, as a Christian, if you have been baptized, are you choosing to walk in faith, in trust in him? Are you choosing to repent of your sins? Are you choosing to confess him with your mouth and with your actions every day of your life? Are you living like the old man or the new? Is your baptism working itself out in your daily life? And are you being faithful to the gift you've been given? I'd ask you that. I ask myself that. And if you're not, then we'd love to put our arms around you and help you to try to get back on the way. Let's get on the way together. But if you have not been baptized, then the question is, when will you come to yourself? When will you realize your state and want to wake up and come to the Father? He is waiting for you to choose him. And if you would like to choose him, either way, we would love to help you. Come forward now while we stand and sing the song of invitation. Yeah.